Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey, it's another one of those fun drive-home editions of Rico Bronia. As the Mets drive their season off a cliff, I'm driving over the beautiful White Stone Bridge as the rain is falling down on my dash. And the New York Mets put together, I think I'd argue, the most lifeless, lifeless, pathetic performance of the season. I mean, if we're ranking horrific losses, you've got different kind of buckets of horrific. You've got meltdowns like we saw on Sunday. You've got brutal managerial decision losses. You have bullpen meltdowns. You have starting pitchers getting their ass kicked. You've got lifeless offenses. Today would fall in the bucket of not only was it lifeless offense, but it was quick, get me out of here, lifeless offense. Like I sat and watched, and I think most of us did, a two-hour, 50-minute game. I think the Milwaukee Brewers were at the plate for two hours and 40 minutes of the two hours and 50 minutes. The Mets were barely up. And when they were up, ground out, pop up, line drive right at somebody. It was just a bing, 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 bing performance. And I even came up with what I thought was a fun idea. As the Mets were starting the ninth inning against Devin Williams, I put out a snap poll, like a real quick, Hey, Met fans, how do you feel in the moment, Paul? And it was a very simple question as the Mets were getting set for the bottom of the ninth inning. It was simply, are the Mets going to come back and win? Are they going to get mowed down? Or are they going to tease us and then lose? And the Mets proceeded to have the quickest, most lifeless, most limp ninth inning we have ever seen. That my beautiful Paul only lasted 30 seconds. It was like uh, many a night I've had in the past. It was 30 seconds in and out. We were done. And yes, overwhelmingly, the Met fan was spot on because the Met fan said, we will get mowed down. And Devin Williams barely broke a sweat against two, three, and four of the batting order. I'm sorry, three, four, five of the batting order because it was Lindor, Alonzo, and then Daniel Vogelback. And it was boom, 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 see you later. So for any of you naive little bastards, I I happen to be one every once in a while, who thought, no, no, this is going to be the dramatic comeback. The Mets are going to put together, after not being able to hit Colin Ray and Hobie Milner, don't worry. 
they're going to hit the best closer in baseball. Don't, don't you worry. If you actually thought that, you weren't even give it, given like a chance to let it ponder in your head before Devin Williams recorded three outs and we were all on our way out. And thank you to the New York Mets because the rain started to come down in that ninth inning and then the rain started to get a little bit harder after the game was over. So it's almost like the Mets tried to be very fan-friendly and said to us, uh, Met fans who paid crazy prices to get to a game that featured a giveaway that was gone long before the gates, uh, before the game even started. Like, my dad got there 20 minutes early. No stalling Marte bobblehead. Not that we give a rat's ass, by the way. But it was almost like the Mets said, we're going to do a favor to our fans. It's starting to rain. It's been a long night. Let's just put these poor suckers out of their misery. Let's not even tease them. So for Buck Showalter, we know we are not going to hear, hey, my team showed fight tonight because there was no fight. There was no fight. They literally tried to make a one nothing lead stand up. And we all knew when the Mets scored that one run, when Starling Marte stole second, went to third on a bad throw, and then actually thought about trying to score on that bad throw or a second bad throw. And then Lindor drove him in with a sack fly. We all knew there was no way the Mets were going to make a one nothing lead hold up. Their bullpen may be close to perfect. Verlander may give you five scoreless. But we knew there would be that one mistake, that one mistake that would cost this team. And it happened right out the gate with Drew Smith giving up a two-strike cookie right down the middle to Joey Weimer, who he hits to dead central for a two-run home run. And we all knew right there in that moment when Drew Smith, who we hadn't seen in 10 days, serving the sticky stuff suspension, would come in and immediately set the opener of this homestand on fire. Now, let's get to how Drew Smith even got into this game. Can I ask you a question, Pete? What are the Mets saving Justin Verlander for? That's that's my simple question. Like, he threw 100 pitches. He's an older guy. What exactly? Are the Mets saving Justin Justin Verlander for when they take him out after five innings? So I actually have an answer. You're not going to be happy with this, but they are making sure that he looks as as attainable as possible, as prize worthy as possible, so they can get something for him at the trade deadline. Okay, so Buck Showalter's reasoning for pulling his quote unquote ace or as one of his aces who's on a two-year contract, is 40 years old. There's no such thing as the postseason in Metland. His reason for saving that precious arm was because, hey, maybe I'll fool a couple of dumb general managers to take Justin Verlander at the trade deadline. I mean, listen, it's obviously not the truth, but I'll take that answer over any BS answer Buck Showalter gives us after this game. Because when you're 40 and the season is... I don't even want to say it's on the brink anymore. The season's down the toilet. Like, what are you possibly saving that valuable arm for? You know, if we had this discussion two, three months ago, I would have said very calmly, hey, you got to be smart. You got to play the long game. It's about keeping these guys fresh for October. And I swear to God, we had Rico Bronias in which we openly talked about that, where we talked about adding a sixth man to the rotation and and skipping turns and and being careful with these guys over the course of their starts. But that's out the window. 
like that idea is gone because the season is about to be over. So if you're Buck Showalter and Verlander did a great job of getting in and out of trouble all night long, I'll give him credit. Like he never gave up the big hit. He never gave up the backbreaking play, whether it was in the first inning, whether it was after Brett Beatty made the brutal throwing error, whether it was him losing control of the strike zone, whatever it was, to Verlander's credit, he made the big pitch when he needed to. I think he held the Brewers to 0 for 7 or 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position. Overall, the Brewers were 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. But you can't manage this anymore as if you're thinking about 162 because there is no 162. The season could be over after 90. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And unlike the Yankee game, in which I argued, hey, Verlander had to come out because he was ineffective, because he was done, like you could tell Verlander was done. And I made that argument on maybe the last drive home, Rico, we did, where it wasn't about pitch count. It wasn't about saving his arm. It was merely about, hey, he's no longer effective. Get him out of the game. Monday night was completely different. This game was completely different. It was, hey, he's at 100 pitches, but I I can't reasonably think that I'm going to get 12 outs from my bullpen, despite the fact that, thanks to Bucks mismanaging from Sunday, David Robertson and Adam Adovino and Brooks Raley are clearly available. Like, it is unrealistic to expect that you're going to get 12 outs out of your bullpen. So I thought Verlander wasn't, done by any means. I thought he could have fought himself through another inning. His pitch counts out 100, even if he has a 15 pitch inning, which is on average what you throw, a buck 15 is already something we've seen him do this year. So am I crazy, Hoff? Did you have a problem the way I did with buck pulling Verlander after five? Oh, 100%. That was the dumbest thing. I know we had 100 pitches. I, I get all that. But 
at this point in our Mets season, with the life basically on the line, you need your best pitcher out there giving him his best. And I love – listen, I know you weren't watching on TV, but it's funny in that inning where um, uh, I think it was the fourth inning where he was giving a bunch of base runners on or whatever it was, you heard Keith and Gary talk about – Wow, he really he's really working it right now. You can see his pitches are really working as they're getting base hit after walk, after whatever. And it's like, I, I don't know if anybody sees what I'm seeing. Regardless, it doesn't make a difference. He needs to go on as, as deep into this game as possible, especially with the bullpen being as crappy as it is. And I'm sorry, I don't want to see Drew Smith. Like, it was a blessing that he was gone for 10 days, except the fact that we didn't have a roster spot. He sucks too. Brooks Raley... You got Robertson and you got Aravino. Those are the only three guys in the bullpen that I remotely trust. I'm sorry. If you're not going to those three guys, I don't want to see them. Yeah, and he gave Drew Smith what you would think was almost uh, a soft landing spot because he gave him the bottom of the Brewers order. And let's keep this in mind about the Brewers. They're one of the worst offensive teams in the National League. I think the Marlins are the only National League team scoring fewer runs than Milwaukee. This is not like some kind of murderer's row lineup. And so he brought Drew Smith in to face the bottom of that order. And think about what he gave up. He threw a horrible 2-2 pitch to Joey Weimers, who has killed the Mets this season, and he hits the ball 410 feet. I don't know if you were ever going to avoid Drew Smith in this game, because even if they got six out of Verlander, I wonder if he still goes to Smith, if he kind of goes Smith out of Vino Robertson, because Smith hadn't pitched in 10 days. And whether we like it or not, I think Buck looks at Drew as a guy that's in that circle of trust. So even if he got another inning out of uh, out of Verlander, he probably still goes to him. But I think you've got to do the best you can to avoid going to this bullpen. And, and there are certain pitchers that even, you know, if this is Kodai Senga, I'll give you a good example, uh, a recent example. Kodai Senga is signed long-term. Kodai Senga is not just 2023 and 2024. The plan is Kodai Singh is one of the few guys that should be in this rotation for the next five years. So you're not going to abuse him this season. And I acknowledge that. You know, there are going to be moments where maybe we want to push Senga another inning. But even with the season on the brink, you have to be smart about him. And I acknowledge that. I don't mean to sound cavalier about it or douchey about it. But Justin Verlander is a hired gun. Justin Verlander has signed a two-year contract. I'm not thinking about long way down the road. I'm thinking about what can I get out of this arm right now? What can I get from him today and tomorrow? Because there ain't going to be, you know, months and years from now. He is a short-term investment. So I'm going to treat the arm of Justin Verlander very different than I would treat the arm of Kodai Senga and the way I would have treated the arm of Jacob deGrom, say, two, three years ago. So I, I don't understand why you've got to be so conservative with him in a game like this. And while Buck managed the bullpen as if he definitely really wanted the game, he went to Ottavino and he went to Robertson in the ninth inning and he used all the quote-unquote A relievers, it was the one tiny mistake that screwed them. Now, with that said, this game is on the offense. And this is a part of what makes this team so incredibly frustrating. Their offense has basically been league average this year. And as we saw on Sunday, their offense did enough to win. And they've done a, there's been a lot of games this year in which their offense has done enough to win and they lose anyway. But this is why this team is so maddening on a day in which the pitching is good. They score one run. 
And and not only do they only score one run, they barely had any rallies. I mean, outside of the rally that scored the run, the Marte stolen base, third on the error, home on the sack fly, they did not have a runner in scoring position the rest of the entire night. They weren't even threatening. And let's forget, let's not forget who they're facing. They're facing Colin Ray. This was far and away, look at his game logs, Colin Ray's best performance of the season. They made Colin Ray look like Corbin Burns in his Cy Young season. So this offense was as pathetic as we've ever seen it. And that goes top to bottom. That goes from Pete Alonzo. That goes to Jeff McNeil. That goes to Brandon Nimmo. In fact, the only guy who actually looked competent at the plate was Brett Beatty. And yet the brilliant manager in the eighth inning of this game, after Beatty had been on base twice in his two previous plate appearances, could not wait to pinch it for him with Marcana. Why? Why? You know, and he did this a few games ago, and it annoyed me because it was right after Vogelback was allowed to face a lefty. Obviously, here, the Brewers only have one lefty in their bullpen. He knew Vogelback wasn't going to be in a spot to be pinched at four, so it's different than the last time. So I'll make this simple. Brett Beatty was on base twice. Brett Beatty has done a fairly decent job against left-handed pitching. He has not looked overmatched. Why do you feel the need to rush to get him out of the game for Mark Hanna? Why? Is this why the Mets lost? No. If Brett Beatty's allowed to hit, does he hit a game-tying home run? Probably not. But the point is, the move didn't make any sense. Jeff McNeil, though, is starting to become the number one whipping boy to me. His at-bats are so shitty. Pop up to the right side, pop up to the left side, soft line drive to shortstop. He's even striking out more times than we're used to. His average is sinking like a stone. And his at-bats are not overly impressive. And to go from winning a batting title to this? There are a lot of guys to blame for the Met mess. I guess recently over the last few days. And I apologize, Pete. If this was on your show, I want you to correct me on this. Did somebody call up the midday show? And maybe it was our show. I, I, I don't even remember sometimes. And make a claim that Jeff McNeil constantly walks to his position and walks back to the dugout. Did you hear that on uh, on your show or was that on our show? I, I got to be honest. I don't remember. It might have been on our show because I, there was a couple McNeil calls. And it, I definitely have heard somebody in particular is very disturbed. There's two people on, on our staff that are very particularly uh, deter, disturbed by McNeil's body mm-hmm. language. Flegelman and Gallo. So I hear that all the time off air as well. Yeah, so I I think it was on your show because I, I, I think if it was on the Craig and I show, I'd remember it as a caller to our show. But I listen to you guys. I listen to the station a lot. So sometimes I get confused. But a guy called in and said, hey, look at McNeil in between innings. He walks off the field like he doesn't give a crap. So that was in my mind as I was at the game tonight. And the guy is spot on. And, and I had never noticed that. I had never sat there really staring at, you know, Jeff McNeil coming off the field or on the field, but he looks beaten. Now, I don't necessarily think that's a guy who's got his money and doesn't give a crap. I'm not making that accusation at him. Here's what I would jump to the conclusion of. I think he takes his slumps out to the field. I think he's a very, 
intense baseball player. He's Paul O'Neill-like in how pissed off he gets at umpires, how pissed off he gets at himself, that I think this massive slump he's in and really replicating 2021 is getting him where that is affecting his body language, where that is affecting, you know, the way he walks on the field, the way he walks off the field. But right now he is, he is just an easy pop-up to shortstop. He's an easy pop-up to right field. And it's becoming incredibly noticeable, but just, just a pathetic loss. And it's just, just so pathetic. And like sitting there in this building, you can feel the crowd's negativity kind of adding as the game goes on. I had one guy screaming as we were walking out that Drew Smith should. He said some horrible things about Drew Smith. I don't even want to repeat it. And I'm thinking to myself, as this guy's cursing out Drew Smith, it's not him. Like, yeah, he gave up the home run to Weimer, and sure, he was bad today, and he got the loss, and and that's going to be on our mind. But this is a collective fail. This is a team who finds every possible way to lose. This is an offense who, when it is a problem, they lose two to one. When it's not a problem, the pitching is the problem, and they lose 10 to nine. And they do it on this incredibly consistent basis. So, yeah, Drew Smith's the guy you want to curse out as you leave the building. But how about an offense that managed to do nothing against Colin Ray? that managed to do nothing against Holby Milner. And yeah, Devin Williams is really good, but can you make the guy break a sweat? Now, one other thing, because I thought about this, how it was happening. Brett Beatty also cost the Mets the game today. Now, hear me out on this. Brett Beatty cost the Mets the game. Now, I just complimented Brett's offense. He did on get, get on base twice. He had a walk. He had a clean single to right center field. He was pinch hit for, uh, I think it was the eighth inning for Mark Hanna. Brett Beatty made a two-out, nobody-on error uh, in the second inning, if memory serves correct. Don't have the scorecard in front of me. And it was a bad error. It was a ground ball to third base. He makes a low throw to first. Pete Alonso can't scoop it out. To Verlander's credit, after issuing a walk, he's able to get a big out, I think, of Christian Yelich to get through the inning. So you may say, well, it didn't come back and hurt them. Justin Verlander was able to get the outs. Justin Verlander had to throw eight more pitches in that second inning because of the error on Brett Beatty. Let's play the math game together, Pete. If Beatty makes the play and you kind of take away the eight extra pitches that Verlander had to throw, and I know it's false to assume the game's going to go the exact same way, but play the game with me, goddammit. I'm driving home from a miserable Met loss. All right, humor me. Justin Verlander's pitch count after five is 92 pitches. Don't you think it is a guarantee he's coming out for the sixth inning with a pitch count of 92 after five? I would think and I would hope that Buck reads the room and knows that if it's anything under 100, you bring it back out. I don't know because we've seen Scherzer at 93 pitches get pulled. I know that was a eight-inning game that he went, but I've seen crazy things happen with Buck. Uh, we saw Carrasco get pilled with a lot less too, but I, I would, I would hope. And you're right. I'm going to play the game. Yes, he'd be back in there for the sixth. So if he comes out and pitches the sixth, and dare I say gets through it, while I think he goes to Drew Smith, maybe Pete, I'm wrong, and maybe after six innings, he says I'm going Ottavino, Rayleigh, and Robertson, and maybe the Mets pull the Yankees and win a game when their offense does nothing. 
and maybe they win a one nothing game. And while it doesn't make us think that the problems have gone away, at least they get a freaking victory. So Brett Beatty's error in the second inning was not something we should just gloss over. When you make mistakes, it's not just the runs that score because of the mistakes. It's the other little things that occur, like having to have Justin Verlander throw eight more pitches, have him labor, have him throw more meaningful pitches too, because now he's got to face another guy with runners in scoring position. So collect a fail. It's not only Drew Smith. It's not only Jeff McNeil. It's not only the entirety of this Met offense. It's Brett Beatty's bad defense too that leads to a brutal, disgusting, pathetic, two-to-one loss to the Milwaukee Brewers. I'd like to just add one more thing to all this because obviously the bullpen usage has been very much, you know, in play here. And they asked Buck um, if how he used the bullpen yesterday, you know, if it, and, and how things work today, if there was any regrets. And he said, no, those guys weren't available yesterday. We deemed them before the game. So they were available tonight. They weren't available yesterday, so I don't know what else we could have done. So that doesn't make make much sense. The guy, I'm sorry. Dude, I'm looking at pictures. I'm looking at his face. I'm looking at everything. He completely has given up. He's checked out. He's got no creativity. Uh, He is, all right, pull him, whatever. That's what the numbers say. I, I don't care. He has no pulse anymore, man. Well, he said two things that are just BS. Number one, David Robertson was available. So if we want to go back to Sunday, he could have used him in the eighth inning. Now, that would have set you up with someone else pitching the ninth inning, maybe Vinny Natale. But nevertheless, you would have given yourself a better chance to get out of that bases loaded jam with your best reliever on the mound. So number one, he's wrong. I don't know if he just thinks we're all stupid or don't pay attention. David Robertson was available. And number two, hey, uh, Buck. According to Adam Ottavino himself, he was available. So I don't know who ultimately makes the decision on who's available or not. It probably is Buck with a word from Jeremy Hefner and some input from his players. But it did not make Buck look good that immediately after the game, Adam Ottavino said, yeah, I'm good to go. I'm available. But either way, this team blows. They're eight games under 500. I'm getting off my exit, which means I'm done talking. We do appreciate you listening to the Rico Bronia. I appreciate all the emails. I was actually following the in-game emails that we get to the Rico as the game was going on. So I appreciate that. And we'll read more of those as this series rolls on. Of course, you can email us, thericob at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to another pathetic, sad drive-home edition of Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.